We are on the final message of the series, Worship Is. For those of you who have been coming for the last three weeks, I'd like to ask you. First one, we talked about worship is... Can't hear you. I'm not hearing, wearing my hearing aid. Um, worship is what? Surrender. Last week, we talked about worship being transformation, right? This morning, we'll be talking about worship being a weapon. What? Yes, worship is a weapon. You see, in the Old Testament, in, in Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20, we find one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And part of the reason why it became one of my favorite stories is because for more than 10 years, I started when I was 11, uh, for more than 10 years, I was a worship leader, um, a worship pastor, some people call me. But my primary mode of ministry or my main assignment is to lead people into praise and worship, just like our, what our team did earlier today. Now, for, for more than 10 years, that was my role. And, and I fell in love with this part of the Bible because you'll find what I mean uh, in a few minutes. But worship is a weapon. And like I said, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And a lot of people don't think that worship is a weapon. We think worship is something, or praise and worship is something that you do in a quiet place with the sound of water, uh, just trickling or by a brook. Or I was, I was, at, uh, I was in Banff just um, on Tuesday for a pastor's meeting, and um, that's what I did. I sat uh, right by the, what do you call that, the, the Bow Falls. And, of course, it wasn't a really quiet brook. It was really loud and thunderous kind of waterfalls. But I enjoyed my time there. And I said, God, you are amazing. According to the book of Job, what we see now, and even the things that we don't see, the universe is just the outer fringe of what God can do. Meaning, these are just the minor things that he is able to do. That's how great God is. You see, the nature, creation, the beauty that you enjoy every day, it's just the outer fringe, the minor display of the power of God. There is such a great power in God that what we see is just minor. And we think worship is that. And, and don't get me wrong, worship can happen in that context. In John chapter 4, we are told in Scripture that, you know, anywhere you can worship, right? It doesn't have to be in a mountain or on a mountaintop or, or a valley or whatever. You can worship anywhere. But a lot of people don't realize that worship is actually a weapon. Worship is a weapon. And so turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it's a very long chapter, so we'll just go through it as we go along this message. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'd like to read beginning with verse 1, and I'll just make comments as we go along. Verse 1 says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Now, who was Jehoshaphat? He was the king of Judah at that time. Verse 2, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar, which is the other name for En Gedi. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news and begged the Lord for guidance. Let me pause there and, and make a comment there. You see, a lot of times 
But we go to God when we have exhausted everything that we can do on our own power to solve our problems, right? And, and even as a pastor, I, I catch myself doing that. Somebody would come up to me and say, Pastor John, we have a problem with this. And immediately my mind would go to, all right, what is the best solution? Let's think of it. Let's go through it. Let's go online and check out whatever is available, yada, yada, yada. And, and a lot of us have that tendency, right? When we hear of a problem in our lives, what, we, what do we do? We think of solutions right away, right away. But what we find here in this, these verses, the first three verses that I just read to you, is that God is the first person that Jehoshaphat went to when he heard of the problem. For a lot of us, God is our last resort, right? We think of ways to deal with problems on our own, according to our power. Whatever available resources. We forget that there is a God who is greater than our problems that we have to go to first. You see, being a king, he, he, he was wise. I'm pretty sure he did not become a king just because somebody voted him to become a king. He, he was a king for a reason. And I'm pretty sure that he was trained to be a leader of the nation. And so he knew what to do. But the first thing he wanted to do was to go to God. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge. It begins there. When you have the strong fear of God, and I'm not talking about you're scared of God. It's holy kind of fear that, that you want to please him in everything that you do. That's what fear means. To recognize him as the only God for you. When, when you begin with that, your life becomes more, more evident in, in the realm of, of wisdom and, and, and knowledge in terms of what to do with, with, with problems in life that you face. So we find here that Jehoshaphat heard the news that there are invaders coming into Jerusalem and Judah. So he went to God first. Continuing that verse, he said, He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek God's help. Now, when news came about the invaders from Edom came, the king called for a national prayer meeting. I remember my dad, you know, I was growing up uh, in a pastor's house. Whenever we would have problems. Whenever, whenever a challenge is posed in front of our family, my dad would always call for a family prayer gathering to seek God's help. And I hope you do that with your family. I hope you do that with your friends. Don't resort first to whatever you can do. Go to God for wisdom. He will grant you whatever you need especially wisdom on how to address issues in your life. But let's continue this. Um, he, he did not order his generals to come together, right? He did not tell his armies to prepare for battle. He called for a national prayer meeting. They pray because they know that they are the people of God. And if they're the people of God and they're to live that out, they have to go to God first. You see, every Sunday, before most of you get here, I saw most of you are late earlier today. <laughs> our, our worship service is at 11, not 11.15, all right? Uh, just to say. Um, but before you come here, before you come here to worship, before we even sang songs, people come here as early as 
to practice, to set up, and to do something very, very important. And this is something that we try not to skip. We try not to skip. And what happens is we pray together. And here's a picture of what we usually do before you get here, before you even wake up, I guess. <laughs> but why do we do this? Because we believe that worship is a weapon, and we believe that in a worship experience like this, there are, there are spiritual battles, meaning there's, there's spiritual warfare going on. Whenever the word is preached, whenever uh, we come together as the people of God to worship him, you know what? The enemy doesn't like it. The enemy hates it. The enemy's name is Satan. He hates that. In fact, he would try to distract you in every way possible that he can to, to, to keep you from receiving what God wants for you to have. And so these people who pray specifically, sometimes we pray for each chair. That means we pray for you. We have prayed for you even before you got here. Because a worship experience like this is a battle. And before we get to battle, we have to seek God's wisdom. And that's why we do it. The first thing we do every time we face a battle is to pray. Let me read on. Verse 5 says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple. He prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O God, you did not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived. And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, famine, or plague, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. His prayer contains some of the most beautiful truths that were ever revealed to them as a people of God. You see, the history of Israel, the history of this people, was that they are descendants of Abraham, right? And, and God promised to Abraham that he will, he will provide him a place, a, an actual geographical place for his descendants to live in. And so many years, hundreds of years, to Moses... Moses led the people of Israel into this land. And now, the people surrounding them, the nations and the tribes surrounding the people of Judah, now are wanting to, to drive them away. Why? Because political power, right? The more land you have, the more powerful you become. And so, three kingdoms, three nations tried to invade them. And so, this man, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, prayed before God. You see, there's this song that I learned about 10 years ago, and the songwriter cites verse 9 as the basis for the song. Verse 9 says, Whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as warp, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And this song goes this way. And... Uh, I'll have to sing it to you, right, for you to appreciate it. 
And it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, Do not be afraid. The Lord your God is strong and with his mighty arm. When you call on his name, he will come and save. I love verse 2. Say to those who are broken hearted. Who's broken hearted here? You won't admit it. Do not lose your faith. The Lord your God is strong and with his loving arms. When you call on his name, he will come and save. Chorus is simple. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Say to the weary one, your God will surely come. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Lift up your eyes to him. You will arise again. He will come and save you. I love the bridge. He is our refuge in the day of trouble. He is our shelter in the time of storm. He is our tower in the day of sorrow. Our fortress in the time of war. Can you sing it with me? He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Say to the weary one. You are alone. All right, sing it. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Lift up your eyes to him. You will arise again. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. If you lift up your eyes to him. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. He lifted his eyes to the God of heaven, the one who promised to them that they will live in that promised land for the rest of their lives. And what did God do? He came and saved. Verse 10 says, and now, continuing the prayer, and now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them. They did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, these nations around us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance, O oh God. Won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. It is a natural tendency for us to trust ourselves, our capabilities, our strength. But this king, who would normally trust his army, did not. He resisted trusting in himself and in the army that he had. He publicly admits his lack of strength and calls on the name of God as his only help in this crisis. If you are in crisis right now, and you're thinking of ways to solve it, and you can't even think of ways to solve it, maybe God is trying to drive you to your knees and saying to you, come to me, child, look to me. There are things in our lives that are beyond our control. But there are things that, not, that are not beyond the control of the God who created us. 
And so he put prayer first. He realized that he could do some things after he had prayed, but he could do nothing worthwhile before he prayed. So prayer was his first recourse. So he resisted the temptation to panic. Have you ever panicked because of a situation? You see, on March 20th or March 19, 2014, I quit my job. And I was like, God, I've been a pastor for a long time. I, I can't apply to make sandwiches at Subway or whatever. But, but I know you called me to do this, and so you will have to provide for my need. But you know what? Uh, before I even prayed that, I went and looked at my bank account and tried to organize it. But I was like, so wrong. God called me. He'll provide for me. See, God called you. He'll provide for you. So, he said to God, God, you brought us out of the land of Egypt and you gave us this land. You protected us. You've given this land to us as inheritance. And every time there's war or famine or plague, we have a promise from you that we can go to you for help. Now, here's what's very important about the prayer of Jehoshaphat. When he prayed, he did not pray for his problems to disappear right away. He prayed by recounting the promises of God to his people. There's a difference. And don't get me wrong, it's okay to present your needs before God. But here in this case, Jehoshaphat knew that they are the people of God and God is, a, is always going to be on their side to protect them. And therefore, he just recounted the promises of God to the people of God. You see, God has promises to you and to me, we find in Scripture. And there are times when we, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have the capacity to think of ways to solve our problems and to get out of our situations. But I'd like for you to do this. Recount the promises of God in your life. And I'm going to tell you, you will experience peace. It was during that prayer time, a national prayer meeting, that God revealed two things to the people of Israel and to the king. See, that's one of the best things about prayer. Prayer is not just presenting your, your requests to God or telling God what you need. In prayer, you get to hear the voice of God. And in this case, God gave two assurances, or revealed two things. First is the assurance of victory. Second is the weapon of warfare. God revealed the weapon of warfare for the people of God. Verse 13, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel. Son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, and son of Mataniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Azap. Let me stop there. You see, the names given here are the names of the grandfathers of Jehaziel. Now, it's, it's a very important detail. Why? Because we find here that Jehaziel is not an ordinary man. I know the, the verse says he was just one of the men standing there. But fact is, Jehaziel was actually a descendant of Asaph. Now, who is Asaph? And this is why this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Asaph was a worship leader in the time of David. Jehaziel is a great, 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 great grandson of Asaph, the worship leader. 
And back in the day, a son always inherits the position of his father. And so he comes from a long line of worship leaders. And it was through a worship leader that God revealed to the people of God the plan of God. Listen in verse 15. He said, listen all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. That sounds a little disrespectful, right? Listen, King. I have a word for you. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours. Say that with me. The battle is not yours. The battle is not yours, but God's. That was the first revelation. You are victorious. He said, King, the battle is not even yours, so don't, don't be afraid. A lot of us face battles and struggles daily, right? And let me say to you, some of the battles that you face are not even yours. But you get so scared of it. Jaziel says, stop being scared. The battle is not yours, it's God's. And if it's God's battle, he will fight it. So stop worrying. If the battle is not yours, then do not fear. Jaziel continues, verse 16. Tomorrow, march out against them. Interesting. You say, well, well, you said that the battle is not ours, but why do we need to march out of the city to face them? Right? Can we just stay in our homes and let God do the fighting for us? Do we need to go out and, and march out and dress up for battle? Isn't that an excuse sometimes that we make? We just, we know that God is victorious. So what, we, what do we do? We hide in our, in our homes. We stay in our shells or hide under the bed sheets and let God do the, the work. But God had a purpose why he wanted the people of Judah and the king to come out of the city to march against the enemies. The purpose is this. Let me read on to you. You will find them coming up, them being the enemies, coming up through the ascent of Ziz. That's a beautiful name for a city. Um, ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. I love the next verse, verse 17. But you will not even need to fight. You will not even need to fight. And you say, Pastor John, what are you saying? Okay, God commanded them. God told them that, that this is the battle of the Lord, and, and, but, but you still need to, to dress up and march out and go to a place where God wants, wanted you to go. Why? Why did God have to say that? Verse 17, you did not even need to fight. Why is it that they don't even need to fight, that they were being commanded to go out and, and march to where they are called to go? Isn't that a little confusing? It says, take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. I see in, the, in this, these verses, or this verse, some contradictions, right? Are you getting this? You will not need to fight, but I want you to go out and march out. And when, you're, when you get to that point, stand still, stand firm. You know what I'm seeing here? What I'm seeing here is this. God wanted them to have a good view 
of what God is about to do. The reason why God told them to dress up, march out, and stand firm where you were supposed to position yourself is this, because God wanted to show them what he is able to do. Sometimes we need to go out and position ourselves at a vantage point where God is able to show us what he is able to do. So don't hide under your bed sheets. Go out, march out, stand firm, and watch. See what God is about to do. See it. Witness it. That is a very important command that God had for his people. And that is an approach that I'd love for us to take. It's amazing how, how the Lord led them to that point. God wanted them to have a good view of the arena. It's almost like going to a hockey arena and getting good seats. And you will find your team just kicking butts. I love it. Now here's a principle that I find here. We may not need to fight the battles we face, like depression, or brokenness, or financial trouble, or fear, discouragement, and addictions, whatever. But God wants us to prepare like a soldier would dress up and march on and stand still, so that he, will, can be, he would be able to show us what he wants for us to see, what he is capable of doing. And I love verse 17, go against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. That means, here's another lesson, we must take the side of God in the battle. A lot of us just watch what God is able to do, but we don't take the side of the Lord. You see, a lot of us don't. We, we take the side of defeat. You see, like, here's an example. We hear a sermon like this about victory today, but tomorrow we still take the side of defeat. In short, we don't live out the, the, the things and the principles that we have learned and that's just flat out wrong. You see, another principle here is when you hear a message like this from the Word of God, assurance of confidence, assurance of victory, assurance of, of God being with you, take it as yours. It's yours. Verse 18, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low in, with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same thing, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, meaning the, the priests and the worship leaders from the clans of Kohath and Korah, stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. You see, when God reveals his victory to you, the only fitting response is to worship. That's the only fitting response that you have. If you know for a fact that God is victorious in your life, the only fitting response is to say, thank you, God, for the victory that I have in you. If I am with you, and if you are with me, who can be against me? That's the most fitting response to worship God. That's why some of the sermons uh, we hear each Sunday remain ineffective in our lives or doesn't seem to have any power in our lives because we don't respond to the word like we should. We don't respond to the word like we should. You need to respond to the word of God with great, great enthusiasm and faith. That's how you need to respond to God and his word. With enthusiasm and faith. See, I, I love going to African-American churches. Who, have you, anyone here has been to African-American churches? 
Isn't it great? You go to an African-American church. And as soon as the preacher begins to holler, you will see and you will find some of the older women and the men and even the young men. We go, oh, yeah. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Amen. I love seeing things like that. I wish we could do that here at Mosaic Church. Oh, yeah. Because they respond to the word with enthusiasm and great faith. And that's the kind of enthusiasm and great faith that we need. That when we hear a word from the Lord, respond to it by obeying and by giving glory to God. As soon as you hear an assurance of victory, praise God for it. Praise God for it. Say, thank you, Lord. I am victorious in you. Your name is great and your power is matchless. King Jehoshaphat claimed the word that was said to them. How did he respond to the word? Early the next morning, verse 20, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, meaning the people who declare the word of God. And you will what? Succeed. Believe. Verse 21, after consulting with the people, the king, here's the weapon, appointed singers, a.k.a. worship leaders, to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. That is why they sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. They were going to battle and what was the first thing that the king did? He appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Isn't that amazing? I'm fascinated by it. You see, one of the reasons why we here at Mosaic Church sing first before we hear the word is because of this. We want to advance in power by declaring the praises of God. You see, when we do that, when we do that, we declare the praises of God, the, the power of the word becomes more effective to us because we have invaded enemy territory through worship. That's what we want to keep doing. The king appointed worship leaders, not his cavalry, not his archers, not his foot soldiers, his worship team, his choir. These unarmed singers coming before the enemy. And as they were praising, as they were praising, and here's something that I really, really love. You see, as they were praising, approaching the lookout point, something else was happening in the valley where the enemies were. Now here's, here's another principle that I'd like for us to remember. Worship is, or worship will become, your weapon in times of despair and in times of claiming the promises of God. The promises became the source of strength. You see, when you come out to a point uh, of difficulty in your life, I want you, even before you take any step to solve your issues, I want you to declare the word of God and the power of God in your life. I want to declare his praise before even, even before I head out to fight. In fact, Daily, whether at the battlefront of discouragement or the forefront of happiness, I want for you to praise and worship the Lord. 
Verse 22 says, At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against the, their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. And that's something. These are the enemies. While they were approaching, they haven't even been, they haven't even got to the point where God wanted them to go, you know, that vantage point. Even before they reached that, something else was already happening in the valley where the enemies were. What was happening? They were fighting against each other. There was mass confusion uh, that started and they, they started killing each other. And here's what's amazing. Let me read on. 24, so when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Isn't that something? As they were praising God, the enemy forces were already trying to win against each other or fight against each other. So when the people of Judah reached that vantage point, all they saw were dead enemies. You see the power of praise there. They were not, haven't even reached that vantage point, like I said. They were just approaching it. And as they approached it, they were praising God. I pray and I hope that whenever you face a problem or a trial in your life, even before you come up with a solution, Approach it with praise. And let me tell you, God will do what he is amazingly good at. And he will show you the power that he has. All they saw were dead bodies. And Jehaziel was right. They did not even need to fight. So 25 says, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder, meaning the spoils of war. Because when, when armies like these, or huge armies, they always bring a lot of silver and gold with them. And a lot of equipment. Why? Because th these, are, these are just treasures that the kings of these nations allow for them to bring so that they could purchase food or supplies in case they ran out of them. And so, of course, nobody owns them anymore because they've killed each other. The people of Judah went down to the valley and gathered all the plunder. According to this verse, they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. The battle that wasn't even theirs, they gathered vast amounts of gold, silver, equipment, clothes, etc. The armies were carrying so much treasure, and it took them three days Three days. And again, they worshipped God for the blessings that came out of that battle that wasn't even theirs. There are battles in our lives that we, if we only let God do the fighting for us, can result to glorious victory and a huge amount of blessings can come out of it. When you recover from your broken heart, when you come out of a depression, when you emerge from your addictions, when you win against your pride, your own pride, whatever you're facing, here's a lesson. You will find some of the greatest treasures you never thought you'd find in the valleys of your life. Write that down. I know that's very long, but it's on the screen. Some of the greatest treasures you will ever find are in the valleys of your life. 
26, on the fourth day they gathered in the valley of Berakah, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It's still called the valley of Berakah today. And some of you think, uh, who cares about the name of that valley? You see, this is an important detail in this scripture. Why? Do you know what, it, what the word means? Do you know the word Berakah in English is? Blessing. That is why this part of the scripture is an important detail. On the fourth day, they went to the exact place where they were supposedly have been defeated by the enemy. But instead, God fought the battle for them. And out of it, they got a lot of blessings. And that's why I said you will find some of the greatest treasures you never thought you'd find in the valleys of your life. The valley that was supposed to be the place of defeat for them, if they fought the battle on their own, would have resulted in sorrow. But God fought for them, and it became a valley of blessing. The valley that you're looking at right now in your life, that you're about to approach, let God fight the battle for you. And I'm telling you, you can go back there and gather all the blessings that you can muster and collect out of that. Some of you are in the valleys right now. And God wants you to hand over the battle to him. Let him fight for you. You'll see that valley of depression, that valley of hopelessness, that valley of defeat can become the valley of blessing. In verse 27, and we're about to close. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets. They proceeded to the temple of the Lord. They continued to worship. As soon as they were done collecting all the blessings out of that valley, they approached the temple of God. When you receive blessings from God, what do you do first? What is the first thing that you do? Here, the principle is, go to God. Because all the blessings that you have collected in the valley of blessings are meant to reflect the goodness of God and therefore you have to thank him and praise him for the blessings that you have received. They continued to worship. You see, they used worship as a weapon and they used worship as a response. And when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. The fear of God came over the enemies surrounding them. So verse 30 says, Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, from his, for his God had given him rest on every side. Meaning there was peace on every corner of the nation that he was leading. But not only that, he had peace because there was no war. He had no war with any of the tribes around him. God granted him peace in every side, on every side of his life. Now here's the thing that I'd like for you to remember as a closing principle. When you've experienced the victory of God, when you use worship as a weapon against the stuff that you, you are facing, and God allows you to see victory, He will grant you peace. A lot of us need peace. Peace of mind, peace in our relationships, peace at work, peace at school, 
peace at home. You see, when you worship God, when you offer yourself to God, He will grant peace on every side or area of your life. That doesn't mean that you will never have problems, ever. But when you have problems, the next time you have problems, the, the first response that you have is worship God. And God wants you to experience his peace. How do you get that? You worship. You declare who God is in your life. Some of you are here and you're thinking, I am in the valley. Or I'm just about to approach a valley in my life. And I need more than ever to God to come for God to come alongside me and for him to fight my battles for me because I am powerless. I am powerless. See, that's the other thing. You can never experience what we have just talked about unless you recognize in yourself that you are incapable or incapable of fighting this battle alone. You need God's strength. You need God's wisdom. You need His power to lift you out of that valley and cause that valley to be a valley of blessing. Who wants a valley of blessings today? I want you to look at your valley, the valley that you're about to approach as an opportunity to praise and worship God, to declare the goodness of God in your life. And I'm telling you, you will emerge of that valley with more blessings than you could ever count. Some of us here are fighting the battle against obedience. Now, here's the other. Here's, here's something that I need for you to, to be able to see. This is a battle that is not God's. He cannot fight this battle for you. It's a battle that you need to face yourself. The battle of obedience. Because right now it takes a lot of courage and will to obey God. This afternoon we will be baptizing people. Baptism is something that we do to people who have given their lives to Christ, who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I keep saying that, I keep pounding on that. You don't need to be perfect to get baptized. But for some reason you struggle with obedience. You, you just can't seem to cross that line on the sand and take the Lord's side. Because you feel unworthy. Because you feel that, that you're still not perfect. You're praying for something that, isn't, that hasn't been given to you. And you say, well, until I get that, I'll get baptized. I'll obey God and when, when I receive that which I've been waiting for. Do you really need to wait for that? Because maybe God is wanting you to step up. And when He sees you step up, when He sees you take that step of obedience, maybe, maybe that's what God is waiting for, to show more of His life in you. More of His power in you. I don't know. I don't know your situation. 
the challenge for us today is this. If that is something that you struggle with, God, is this something that you, I need for you to, you to fight for me? No, 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 no. God will not fight this battle for you. You will have to fight it on your own. Because at this point, at this point, you are battling within with yourself. And so you need to overcome that pride. You need to overcome that sense of insecurity, that sense of inconfidence and incompetence. And, and embrace the competence, embrace the, the, the power, embrace the glory and the honor that God has for you, which would allow for you to win that battle of obedience. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that we're able to come together and, and declare your goodness. God, we are hoping and we are praying for the people who, who have listened to this uh, message to respond to you in obedience. For those of us who are approaching valleys or who are in valleys, I pray that you will cause this valley to be a, uh, a, an experience for them to, to see that you are the God who fights for them. For those of us who struggle with obedience, I pray that you will, you will cause your spirit for their hearts to be softened, to be so tender to, to respond to you, to obey you in that next step to faith, which is to get baptized. Thank you, God, that we have a relationship with the God of the universe who created all things that we see and things that we do not see. And this God fights for us. This God longs for us to see the power that he possesses. Thank you, Lord, for the love that endures forever. It is that love that propels us to victory. For your love endures forever.